Let me move on. Let me talk to you for a minute from the book of Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. I want to talk about one word today, really two words, three words, moving, not two words, moving forward. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. Moving forward. It is easy in life to become stagnant. As a matter of fact, it's hard in life to keep moving because a lot of us lose interest. We lose interest in the discipline of moving forward. We like the idea. I'm going to college. I'm, I'm going to be an engineer. You ask a kid, what are you going to be? I'm going to be a doctor. They say that, but that's not, that's not being a doctor. That's a dream. It's not until you go through the process, and the process is where the hard work comes out and it comes in. And I believe that one of the challenges we face in this environment is moving forward. How in the world do you move forward when it's complicated? Now, if it's easy, well, that's, you know, just go for it. But when it gets hard, when things get in your way, when things block you, I believe the truth is a lot of us are not moving forward. And so this year, my theme for the year is, I always answer one question every year. Here's the question. What is the truth you need to face? What is the truth? What is the truth about you moving forward? Are you moving forward? If you're not moving forward, how do you move forward? That's what we're going to talk about this month. I want to challenge you to move forward. And there are four things you need to do if you're going to move forward. One is you have to learn to forget some things. You have to absolutely throw some things out of your mind. Some things you cannot think about ever again if you want to move forward. Now, if you want to be stuck, you can think about it. You can cry over it. You can dwell on it. You can tell everybody you meet about it. And I know, I know people like that. Every time I see them, they tell me, they want to tell me what's bad in their life. Some people, that's how they introduce themselves. I'm a woman that had a broken heart. My husband left me when I was whatever. And I don't have any money. You want to tell everybody about what's wrong in your life. Here's what I believe. If you're going to succeed in life, you can't dwell on that. You can't be defined by that. So some things you have to learn how to forget if you want to move forward. Secondly, you have to learn how to reach forward. You have to learn how to reach. You cannot go forward in life if you don't reach Thirdly, you have to learn how to press. Now, that's tough because some things you don't want to press past. Sometimes you want to wallow in it and feel sorry for yourself. But pressing is a part of it. And then fourthly, you have to believe. I can't believe for you. You have to believe for yourself. One of the wisest things my mother ever told me is nobody is going to help you, Rick. You understand that? She said all the time. You have to learn how to help yourself. Do it for yourself. And there's something about self-pride, self-motivation. Philippians chapter 3 is our verse. Here's what it says. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining or reaching toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. So notice he says, I must believe there's a prize. I must believe that there's something that I am going to go after. My prize is in my mind. Secondly, I have to press. I have to have a stubborn gritness about me. I'm not quitting. 
grit. I love that. Great word. Patience, perseverance, an almost stubborn, will not quit attitude. Thirdly, you got to be able to reach. And that means you got to have a sense of direction. I'm going that way. When this all broke out, I said to the staff, and they all looked at me, I said, this is, in my head, I said, this is going to be three years, two, three years. It's going to be a while. And I, I, just, I just said, okay. So I knew, I said, I want everything to move. Everything will be digital. I said, here's the, here's the rules, here's the boundaries. We're not going to go against the medical professionals. I don't care what everybody else does. We're not opening and closing. We're going to stay closed. Only 5% of churches were still closed. We're in the 5%. I don't care what everybody else does. And I'm going to, I, I, have a, I have a clear sense of what I'm reaching for. I want to live. I don't want to be sick. I don't want you sick to come sing with me. To say you was in the house of God, <laughs> I don't want that. I have a, see, if you don't know, if you can't see it, you can't have it. And then he says, you got to forget some things. Which means basically you got to be mature enough to let it go. I'm going to tell you right now, one of my biggest challenges in my life is looping. They call it looping. Living in something that didn't go right. And I'm tempted every day to say, woulda, shoulda, coulda, woulda, shoulda, coulda, woulda, shoulda, coulda. And I'm telling you right now, I, I have to be mature enough to say, I refuse to think about that. That's why I don't cut the news on first thing in the morning. Because they tell me what to worry about. We're glad you tuned in today. The world is collapsing. Martians are coming. Everything is bad. You know, I mean, it's every, every day Putin threatened us. Okay. Saudi Arabia may not give us any more gas. Okay. I mean, I'm just, I, I got more stuff to worry about. And then my, I mean, if I'm not careful, I will spend all my mental time thinking about that stuff. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'll loop in and out of it. Sermon wasn't good. Sermon at 9 o'clock was good, but maybe not at 11 o'clock. You don't, know, you don't know. I mean, it's always something that to worry about. And I think you have to come to a place where you say, I'm mature enough to say no to that. You worry about, you know, it's funny. When the kids are little, you worry about them, right? When they get big, you worry about them again. They get grown, you worry about them. Then you worry about grandchildren. You spend all your life looping, worrying about stuff. When you go, didn't go to college, you worried about going to college. When you go to college, you worry about graduating. When you graduate, you worry about getting a job. You work, get a, then you get a job, and you got a job, graduated. You should be happy. Now you want another job because you don't make enough money. You live your life in this sad place and never go forward. And that, my friend, is how you end up in a stagnant place. But I believe that's not what God wanted. A living example of this is in the Bible in Numbers chapter 14, where God had delivered Israel, and he illustrates for us how people can have bad memories. They, <laughs> I call it bad memory, good memory. Come on, say it with me. Say bad memory, good memory. In, 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 the, in the story of Israel, you see seasons where they had a bad memory. They have 400 years in slavery, 450 years. They were under incredible bondage. Moses comes in, and he leads them to freedom. When he leads them to freedom, time they run up against a challenge, they forget. Bad memory. 
Have you ever done something for somebody and they forget? And, and they come to you and, you, and you, you're confused because they, they, they haven't paid you back for what you did the last time. And they back to you again and you just want to think, did, did, you, did you forget the last, the last time? Or here's a good one when somebody's mean to you and then they come and need something from you and then they act nice to you and you're just confused. Did, did, you, did you forget what just happened? And there's something about this story in Numbers where Israel goes into bad memory, and then he shows us an example of two guys, Joshua and Caleb, that had good memories. What's interesting about Joshua and Caleb's memory is they refused to think about things that they thought didn't matter. Now, I want to read the story to you, and I'll show you. Numbers chapter 14, here's what it says, verse 1. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to, to each other, let's fire the pastor. We, <laughs> we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So now I want you to think about this. This is called an example of a bad memory. Okay, you, 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 You're acting like you have forgotten what it was like to be in Egypt, but you want to go back. Have you ever gone back into a relationship you should have stayed out of? Have you ever, have you ever found yourself trying to forgive somebody and you found out, maybe I should have just waited a little bit longer? There's something in this moment where they've forgotten they want to go back and apologize to Pharaoh for keeping them in slavery for 400 years. Amazing. It's, and I'm, I'm ashamed sometimes that you know, to, when I'm testifying. You ever do this? You testify, and in the middle of your testimony, you're embarrassed. I can't believe I was that dumb. I can't believe I spent that kind of money. I can't believe I made that decision. You ever see somebody, don't raise your hand. You ever see somebody you used to be with, and now you're you scared to admit it? You just, you just, oh, God, oh, God. You, you just you start praying out loud, oh, God, oh, God. And there's this moment where Israel, they've got a bad memory. And so what happens is, watch what happens. Somebody tries to remind them, Caleb and Joshua, chapter 13 of Numbers. Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Well, that's nice. Verse, verse, verse on chapter 13, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, here, I want to send you 12 guys for 40 days, and I want them to go and spy out this land. They go spy out the land. They come back with this horrible report and say, we can't do it. Joshua and Caleb says, yes, we can. Now, what's interesting is Joshua and Caleb didn't even mention the things that the other guys mentioned. The other guys talked about how strong the people were, how big they were, how many muscles they had. They talked about all of that. Joshua and Caleb said one thing. Listen, we don't want to even talk about that. Forget about that. That's good memory. Say, forget about that stuff. Let's focus on what God told us to do. Go take possession of the land. But that's not what they did. What's really interesting is I have noticed the majority of people will go in the wrong direction. Jesus said that. Broad is the gate that leads to destruction. 
Narrow is the gate that goes in the right direction. If you want to prosper in life, you cannot follow the crowd. If you want to do well in life, you cannot act like everybody else. And you cannot be afraid of being isolated. Sometimes the only way God can bless you is to separate you. That's the only way. So I want to read this to you because I want you to hear it. This is in Numbers 13, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out. So they go out, and then he lists their names. I love it. He says their names. I want you to know who I'm sending. Here's what he said. Now, Shemua, Shephat, Caleb, Igal, Hoshea, Paltai, Gadal, Gadai, Amiel, Sether, uh, Nebai, and Gul. Who cares if I said it wrong? But you got the point. All those guys, each one was a leader, a famous leader of the 12 tribes. They chose the top guy. Now, you would think if you choose the top elders that they would be men of faith and men of confidence. You'll be surprised who doesn't believe. Now, I'll tell you right now, when you, when you get close to people, this pandemic has revealed a whole lot about our faith. It's revealed a whole lot about who really believes and who has some sense and who don't have some sense. Some things I've seen, I said, that can't be true. They must, they, what, what are they thinking? There's moments in life when you are, you, you're surprised. My wife loves to say, the professionals aren't always professional. The people you think have it together don't always have it together. Sometimes when you get close to people you used to admire, they'll lead you down the wrong path. So here we have the whole nation being pushed in the wrong direction. And these guys in chapter 13, verse 31 of Numbers, here's what they said. We are not able. <laughs> they are stronger than we are. The, 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 the neighborhood, the people here will devour us. We are like grasshoppers to them. That's their summary. Now, I want to tell you something. I have noticed, I have noticed that there are times when I can see something. I know this is the right path, but I've noticed that oftentimes others can't see it. They, they, they can't see it. They, they, they just can't see it. They, they have one way they see things. And I want to tell you, I want you to hear this. This is where the line is drawn and where God separated the believers from the unbelievers. Now, I'm going to do a whole sermon on believing later on, but I want you to hear this. God got angry about this. This is one of those moments in the Bible I'm going to read to you in a minute. Well, God, you know, God can get angry with, <laughs> with us. You ever did something for somebody and they don't act grateful? You, you, you know, you, you cook the breakfast, you fix the meal, and they don't even say thank you. Oh, then they eat it and leave you with the cleanup. You, you ever had that happen? You, you, ever, you, ever, you ever did something for somebody? And they, you loan them your car and they drive out all your gas and give it back to you. Yeah, and then it's all dirty up stuff all over the, over the car, all over the seat floor. And, and you just look at them. And then they say, can I borrow it next week? This is one of those moments where God says, now let me understand. I took you out of Egypt. They were beating you across your head. They were taking your children. They were um, half feeding you, half housing you. And so I delivered you. And so now you, because of a little challenge, you went to spy out the land and you saw it wasn't easy. 
you know, you're, you're mad now because it wasn't easy. You pray for a husband, but it's not easy. You ask God for a job, but it's not easy. And so because it's not easy, you're mad. And you pray these incredible prayers that I never would insult God by praying. Father, why have you allowed me to be in this situation? As if God did it and I had nothing to do with it. I'm going to pray about my finances and, and tell God, God, why are these tax bill collectors calling me? They're calling you because you owe them money. God didn't do that. I'm saying, be, be clear. Sometimes in life, you hear people talk to you and you want to go, are they, are they addressing me? And so in this story, I want, I'm going to show you something. This is what God said in response to this. Verse 10, this is uh, Numbers 14, 10. The whole assembly talked about stoning them. So now they want to kill Moses. They want to kill the preacher. He's the one who did it. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? Notice what he said. How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the signs I have performed among them. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to strike them down. I'm going to beat them down. This is the moment. Now, this is the other side of God. He said, listen, I love you. I care about you and all that. But you can't talk to me this way. You can't. You can't. And I often have been saying this lately. I refuse, God, to insult you with unbelief. You've been too good to me. You blessed me. You helped me through this crisis. You've been with us. Look at me standing on this stage. You gave me this opportunity. You, you blessed us with what we have. I dare not insult you. I have no right. Ricky, I don't know about you, but I have no right to doubt God's faithfulness. I have no right to doubt that God will show up. I have no right to doubt that God's hands on my life. I have no right. I have no right. He came when I needed four or five million dollars. He came when I needed three million. He came when I needed two million. He came when I needed hundred thousand. He came. He came when I needed ten thousand. He came when I needed ten dollars. I cannot name a time. I cannot name a time that God did not come through. There were times I was wondering where my children were. You know, at a time you tell them to be home a certain time, them they don't show up, and they did act like they confused. You know, you know, and every time God helped us. God's been faithful. When my heart was broken, God was faithful. Every funeral I've been through, God's been faithful. He's always been there. When my mama died, he was there. He was there every single trial I faced. I will not insult him with unbelief. And here's what God said to them. I'm going to tell you, I'm done. This, this one really gets me. Uh, <laughs> verse 20, Lord said, I'm going to forgive them. No, Moses interceded for them. This is in chapter Numbers chapter 14, verse 20. He said, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, surely as I live, and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of them. You know, when you say that, you know that's serious. Not one of them who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me. And tested me ten times. They tried me ten times. Not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their, to their ancestors. No one who has treated me, this, treated me with this contempt will ever see it. Let me stop there and say this to you. Your kids have to be careful. You got to be careful, see. He can be talking about. Somebody you know, 
Not one of them. I've seen, I've tried to help people get blessed, and God looks at uh-uh, 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 no, no, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not blessing them. I don't want to ever be in that category. I, I, I tell you what, I believe God loves me. I believe God cares about me, but I'm scared of him. Let me tell you right now, I'm not scared of Diane. I'm scared of him. I'm telling you right now, my commitment to be obedient, it has nothing to do with you in this church. You ain't going to never see me on no videos, none of that, because when I first came to Jesus, I'll tell you the story. When I went in that church, I was 14 years old, I walked in the church, and I was by accident. Well, by, I guess not by accident, but I walked in that church, and I remember there's three ladies praying in the prayer meeting. And the first thing I ever heard, first sermon I ever heard to touch me, that woman, when I walked in the door, the Lord had her say these words, don't play with God. She was not talking to me, but she looked dead at me. I said, oh, Jesus. And I never will forget that. And from that day to this day, I've been striving not to. Now, I ain't been perfect, but I promise you right now, what you saw happen in Israel, he said everybody 20 years and older will not go into promised land, only the teenagers and below. A lot of what we're seeing today, I told my wife this morning, some of what we're seeing today with our children, the Bible said, obey your parents that your life, that your life will be long in the land. If you don't do certain things, you won't have certain problems. But if you go down certain paths, I believe the church is in trouble right now. The rebellious attitude that we see in this religious and political environment, Andy Stanley's right. There's a danger here. We don't get blessed by being arrogant. We don't get blessed by being mean-spirited. We don't get blessed by being people who are not honest. We don't get blessed by following the crowd. We have to learn to forget what intimidates us. Forget the giants in the land. Forget what everybody else is doing. Forget the path everybody else wants to go down. And you go down the right path. And then you've got to do this, reach. You have a, a clear direction. This is where we're going. And this is how we're going to get there. That's my best sermon for you today. I hope I helped you. Let's all stand. Let's all stand, shall we? Father, we leave today with faith. We leave today with confidence. We leave today knowing that we're not perfect. We're not better than anybody. We're not trying to be. We're just trying to be obedient. Israel showed us the danger of having a bad memory. And Caleb showed us the power of having a good memory. Some things we need to forget about. Forget about what intimidates us. Forget about what could happen wrong. Fight forward with faith and confidence. And so, God, we leave today. You showed up again. Good weather, great service inside, fun with the children, safe. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We thank you for the blessings of your people. We thank you that they're faithful in their giving. They're faithful in their tithes and offerings. We don't have to hound them and bound them. They, they give online. They serve. They do consistently what they should do. We ask you to bless this camp tomorrow. May the kids who come here leave with something they didn't come with. Jesus, may they see a light. May they grow up like these other college-age students have said. And that young man in college yelled out of his car, his Mercedes-Benz, and said, Pastor Rick, you fed me when I was in college. And I said, wow, it worked out pretty good for you. Let that be true for many generations. May this church, this ground, these grounds be a light to the world. And I mean that, Father. A woman in her house, Ernestine Dilworth, believed that if she sold her house, 
invested all the money in the kingdom. And one day God would bless it. And from that seed, millions of dollars have been raised. Thousands of people have been won to Jesus because of a seed that was sown. And right now, Father, we come. May we be a seed that touches the world from this location in ways that we can only imagine. And may we forget the things that are behind us and press to the things that are in front of us. In Jesus' name. Lord, also pray for people that don't know your Savior, those that are home here or watching at home or on demand. If they don't know your Savior, let this be that moment that they say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Let it be the moment when they say, God, I want you in my life. And I give you all the praise for them. In Jesus' name.